So good morning, Eastside family. We want to let our children, ages two years old through first grade, make their way in that direction to junior worship. If you're new here and you have a child in that age range, I want to encourage you just to kind of follow the crowd. The rest of you that are staying here, take your Bibles and turn with me this morning to Joshua chapter 8. Joshua chapter 8. And as you're turning to Joshua chapter 8, I want to always remind you of a very important aspect of our worship assembly, and that's the offering that we bring to the Lord. There are four different ways we make it possible for you to give your offering to God. You can mail a check to our church address. You can give an automatic draft to your bank. That's really easy. It's automatic. It's set up. Or you can go online to our website at eastsidesprings.com. There's a little button right there. It says give. Follow the easy instructions. Or if you're here in person, you can drop your contribution off there in the box the table in the middle and if it gets on your nerves that every Sunday he's always talking about money read Matthew Mark Luke and John and you will find out that Jesus talked more about money than anything else money is a big deal to him not because he needs it but because it's an incredible indicator of what's really important in your life You can sing about God, you're number one in my life, but your bank statement is a better indicator of that. And so for that reason, I just wanted to uh, remind you of our, did you make your announcement already, Bruce? That's later on. Bruce is going to be making uh, an announcement later on. I'm sorry, I was out uh, talking with somebody earlier in the service. Bruce, is, Bruce, can you stand up? You guys don't know him, all right? There was this strange guy, Bruce, here. He's new, been coming here for more than a year, it seems like, or maybe not, but he's standing at a table right there. You walk past the table. I don't know him. I'll just keep walking. He's going to be teaching the class on Financial Peace University. Fantastic pers- uh, couple, Bruce and Glenda. You need to get to know them. Um, really involved in our church ministry and a life group here. Financial Peace University is, is a, a tremendous class. It's going to be starting up on September 10th, helping you learn godly, practical principles about finance. And that's a big part of our walk with God. And so Bruce is going to be teaching this class. It's an incredible class. I want to encourage you to come. And it's $80 per family. And there's the ch- challenge. Well, if you're struggling financially, you need to come to the class. But if you're struggling financially, you don't have $80 to give to the class. If that's your situation, don't let money stop you. Um, Mike will pay for... No, I'm kidding. <laughs> How about that? We have, we have people who said... We want to donate funds towards that. And so you be in that class. You get to go for the first time without paying just to see what it's like if you want to. I cannot encourage you enough to be a part of that. Fantastic biblical principles. The other thing, this is like announcement Sunday, isn't it? The other thing I want to mention to you is about our life group ministry. At that table back there uh, with the orange couch sign, we're having life group sign-ups. That is church. Being in a life group is at the true heart of what church is all about. And so I want to encourage you to come back there and sign up for a life group. Uh, I'm going to be back there working the table. I'll answer all your questions. Phil and Ginger will be there as well. Happy to answer your questions. Our life group leaders, could we have them stand just so you can see them? If you're a life group leader, please stand. we got three new groups that just formed today. I want you to look around. They're not all standing up yet. There's some that aren't standing up. Are these guys not good looking, all right? So I want you to pick your best looking one and just go and join the group. You guys can 
be seated now. But please come back and talk to me. We actually don't have enough groups. And so if you're saying, I'm a little bit intimidated about that, tell me about how I can start a group, I would be delighted. It's, it's quite easy, all right? Uh, and it's just, it's, it's, it's church. I love it, absolutely. All kinds of groups. I better be quiet. I'll talk more about it next week. We got to get into Joshua chapter 8. Joshua chapter 8. So I was reading this chapter and an advertisement came to mind that I think most all of us are aware of or we've seen it before. It's the, uh, what is it? The, uh, there's actually a video, but it was too cheesy, so I decided not to show it. It's uh, Life Alert's the name of the company, and they have this commercial. They owe me some money for uh, advertising today. And you got this woman who's fallen, and everybody knows she cries out, I've fallen, and I can't get up. Have you ever been in that situation I have of all of the embarrassing humiliating moments in my life one of them that ranks in the top 10 probably top 3 was when I decided at the age of 30 to learn to ski we were living in the Czech Republic, and in the Czech Republic, skiing's a big deal. I mean, it's a colder climate. There's beautiful mountains around there. And I thought, if I'm going to connect with these people, I'm going to learn how to ski. And so I went out and bought all my gear, and I thought, man, it must be really super cold on the ski slopes. And so I, I bought me this big, as you can see, this big downfield fluorescent green puffy green coat because I didn't want to be cold on the slopes well little did I know is when I went out on the slope I was the only one with a big green fluorescent puffy coat I looked more I looked more like the uh Pillsbury green fluorescent Pillsbury doughboy or or the Michelin man everybody else there's a I think it's a fashion show when you're skiing there at least in the Czech Republic and I was not in fashion I stood out so I get in line, it's my first time ever, and I got, it's a, it was an older ski, uh, ski lift going up, uh, you'd say Red Mountain Saddle, that would be the name of the, the slope. And I was going to go up, and so it's an older, older, uh, older lift, and it's got, these, got this kind of cable that's going like this up and down the mountain, and they got these poles, and at the bottom of the pole there's this like frisbee-like plate there and as a seat, and so the pole's coming around, you grab it, you sit yourself on that pole on that seat, and then you go all the way up the mountain. Well, I didn't know how to do that. And it was very awkward, and so I grabbed that thing, and there's tons of people standing in line, and I put it, on, put it on there, and instead of just taking me up the mountain, my skis went up in the air, and it threw me off to the side. I must have done that eight to ten times. And so you got all these Czech people who were standing there. They weren't laughing out loud, but they were laughing in their hearts. And in whatever language I was speaking, it was clear that this was a silly foreigner who doesn't know how to ski. So finally, I made it to the top of the mountain somehow. And then the key was to get down. <laughs> so how do you do that? Because uh, I could barely stand up on these silly things. And so I would go five feet and I would fall. And these little four and five-year-olds are just zipping around me. That's so humiliating. And then my, I would get up and I would fall and my skis would fall off. And, and they would go a little bit down. So I got to walk through the snow and get my skis and put them on, trying not to get hit by these four and five-year-olds skiing past me. And I would get up and I would fall. And I just know the people at the bottom of the ski slope looking up were going, what is that big fluorescent green ball that's just kind of rolling around on the slope? It was humiliating. It was embarrassing. And I'm telling you, constantly the thought came to mind, I 
just want to quit this. Forget skiing. But I realize that if I am going to ever learn to ski, I'm going to have to learn how to get up when I've fallen or I'll never learn to ski. Now, that's the main point. hope you were listening. Have you ever fallen and you felt like, let's get that horrible picture of me off of there if, we don't, if you don't mind. <laughs> Embarrassment enough. Have you ever fallen and you just felt like it seemed like you couldn't get up? And I don't mean skiing, all right? You know what I'm talking about. Where you've blown it. Huge. You've messed up so bad and you're suffering the consequences now of what you're done what you've done you failed you failed god you failed others you failed yourself how do you how do you get up when you've fallen do you so we're following the story of the Israelites, and that's, that's the children of God. The Bible story is new to you. It's, and we're following in the Old Testament. The Bible is divided in two sections, so we're in the first section studying the story of these people called the Israelites in the book of Joshua. And primarily, we're just seeking to, in this book, to learn life lessons from these people. Valuable life lessons are there, like today's. But this book is also, their story is just pointing us. It's pointing us to Jesus. Well, you find these people are in that state that I've been talking about. You know, we've looked in Joshua up to this point, and so, sure, they've, they've entered the land that God had promised them. It's an incredible story, and they, they're now in this campaign of taking and settling the land. But as we saw last week, they faced the only defeat in their conquest of Canaan. And it was a humiliating defeat in the city of Ai. And on top of that was the embarrassment and the humiliation of this guy named Achan. You remember we talked about him and his sin and the pain of that. And this guilt that comes with that, that was really a collective guilt. Because this is a community of people. The Israelites have fallen miserably. So now question is what do they do now let's go into the story in chapter 8 verse 1 and the Lord said to Joshua do not fear and do not be dismayed take all the fighting men with you arise go up to Ai see I have given into your hand the king of Ai and his people his city and his land and you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king only its spoil and its livestock you shall take his plunder for yourselves lay an ambush behind this lay an ambush against the city behind it this is incredibly rich this section alone I don't even have to do the rest of the chapter I'm going to try my best to but here there's tons of stuff to see and first of all you cannot miss this that Joshua is finally back in prayer 
back in the presence of God, having conversation with God, listening to God. And the reason we notice this is because last week we saw in chapter 7, in the only defeat of the Israelites in their conquest of Canaan, prior to that battle, you do not see a record of Joshua in prayer, seeking God and seeking his wisdom. We can never say enough, we can never overstate the significance and the importance of being and walking in and living in the presence of God through prayer. It's there that we find strength. It's there that we find wisdom. But I want you to notice, I want you to hear this, what God says to these people after they have fallen in a brutal defeat. He says to them in verse 1, Arise. And that may be the one word some of you just needed to hear this morning. Wherever you are in your life, hear God saying to you this morning, Arise. Arise, he says. Go up to listen to where he tells him to go up to. To a place where you just fell and were defeated. Though they blew it earlier with AI, God says, let's do that again. Though they blew it and it was their mistake and they didn't deserve it, God says, I have given AI into your hands. I want you to hear this. This is God giving them a second chance. There's a lot of names for God in the Bible. But I think from this story, we could name God the God of second chances. Have you ever had someone, I've got this in your life groups to talk about. Have you ever had someone give you a second chance after you've blown it? I have. And I'm, I'm kind of going to be a little bit repetitive. Some people are new, some people are not. So you've heard some parts of my story. I was a very wild and rebellious teenager. I made life horrible for my parents. Miserable teenage years growing up for my parents and when things all came to head when I was about 16 years old and I got arrested for the first time my father decided okay we got to do something about this and so he put me my mom and dad convinced me or they put me in I had a choice to go to go to a boys military academy in Bell Buckle Tennessee or go to David Lipscomb high school and well Bell Buckle boys whatever There were no girls there, so I chose the school, Lipscomb, and it was very expensive, all right? But my folks were really hoping maybe this will help him, and so I was there for a year and a half, and about February of my senior year, I kept on doing the horrible things that I was doing. I got expelled from that school, somehow made it to a public school, which was humiliation of my parents, all right? All that money lost, I threw it away. So then I ended up, was able to squeak my way through uh, the last two or three months of high school, graduate from high school, and my father, who's watching, my father, I shouldn't have said that part, um, 
He said, okay, we're going we're gonna to help you go to college. So they paid. He should have said, dude, you are on your own. You made your bed, sleep in it, good luck. But he said, okay, we're going to give you a chance here at college. He paid for me to, to register and go to MTSU, Middle Tennessee State University, 30 miles away from Nashville in Murfreesboro. I finished my first semester there with a GPA of a 1.0. I had all Fs. The only thing that brought it up to a 1.0 was my C in tennis. And so <laughs> my life, I, I can't tell you how horrible it was. It plummeted into horrible abusive things and it brought my parents down with me and somehow in the bottom of the barrel of the darkness of my life somehow God made his way in there rescued me and changed my life after quite a few months it was an incredible transformation my parents said to me let's try that again so they sent me, they should have said, I'm so glad you've changed. Good luck, boss. They should have said that, right? They sent me to Harding University. And Harding is not like free. It's ridiculously expensive. This is really, I mean, it was a risk, right? Is he going to do it again? God does that with us constantly. That's the heart of this story of God giving his people a second chance. Now watch this. Here's what's really awesome about this text. The first thing we read is God is giving them a second chance. Is It says, do not fear and do not be dismayed. Well, why does he say that? Well, it's just a repetitive thought that he wants to throw out in the book of Joshua. No, it fits in the context after they had failed miserably. Some of you understand why he said, don't be afraid, because many of us are paralyzed right now because of the fear of past failures and past mistakes. I messed up before. I'm not doing that again. I tried that in AI, and it failed. I'm not going to face that humiliation and defeat again. That didn't work. And so, God certainly has abandoned me can't imagine him still loving me and too often we find ourselves in places like that paralyzed by the fear of past failure defined by our fears and by our past failures marked by it haunted by it stuck in a rut and to such people God's powerful words are do not fear do not be dismayed the past does not define you that is not who you are do not listen to those voices this is what the Israelites needed to hear they had done we saw it last week they had done in chapter 7 what they needed to do to rectify their mistake it was hard it was a painful story. I didn't get up excited to preach that, but it needed to be preached. It's a hard story. They had done that, and they needed now to understand that's in the past. Don't you be shackled by that. You are forgiven. Now arise, and with fearless courage, let's do that again. It's the God of second 
chances. Do not listen to the voices of the past. You are forgiven. You are freed from guilt and shame. Now, here's a hard part of the story in verse 2. You'll notice he says this time, all right, when you go to AI and you go to battle, I want you to take the spoils. Take whatever you want. And I'm thinking, if you remember from last week, oh, Achan, if you had only waited God, God had something in mind for you. You were just impatient and you just decided to compromise and do things your own way and it turned out disastrous for you. That is so ridiculously typical of us that God has something beautiful in mind for us in his way and in his time but we're impatient and so we through compromise and through disobedience in our own timing Oh, we mess things up. That's what, that's what Achan did. I see this happening with people in the relationships all the time. This is what God wants for me, so I'm going to take it now in my way instead of trusting God in his way. Now, here's an interesting part to this story. You'll notice this, and since it shows up, we're going to keep talking about it every time it shows up. There's these two same principles that you see again and again in Joshua that these are the two keys to walking in Christian victory, the two keys that had to be at play for the Israelites to defeat their enemy and to have victory. God's grace, we talked about this, what, a week or two ago. God's grace, man's faith. God's grace, grace is God's part. God said, I've given it to you. It's already yours. Remember where I talked about that? But he said, you need to take your fighting men with you. That's faith. I've done my part. Now you do your part. You put that together and it's unlimited what God will do through you. But that takes fearless courage. And I think also, this could be a whole other sermon in verse 3. You notice that there's a, a different strategy here than with Jericho. Remember in Jericho how they won that? Marched around the wall seven days. One time a day for six days, seven days, uh, the seventh day, the seven times, and they they defeated their enemy. Well, that was a strategy for Jericho, but now God is saying to them something else. And you might think, well, that worked in Jericho. Let's just do that again. That's what God has done before. That must be the way God always does things. Nope. Nope. What God had in mind for Jericho sometime earlier was, what not, was not what God had in mind for Ai in their present situation. Now I want to tell you something, but I'm going to preface it with something else because some of you are going to misunderstand me and reach a wrong conclusion. This first part's really important. Hear this. While there are many unchanging truths of God, We also find in Scripture that God is very creative and diverse in his methods of implementation of those truths. We as a church must caution ourselves not to fall into the mindset, as too often Christians do and churches do, of placing God in our restrictive traditional boxes of the way things are always done. It's marching. Don't you know that? Ambush. God doesn't do it like that. This is how God works, and this is only how God works. Oh, really? That's not what we see here in this story. Hear it again. His truths for our lives and the gospel 
are unchanging. But church, if we're going to be effective in seeing those truths achieve victory, we must be willing to adapt to his creative leading, though it may be different, very different than what we're comfortable with or the way things have been done before. And so we read in chapter 8 in verse 3, Joshua and all the fighting men arose. They did it. And you keep reading. Don't have time to read that all. Do that in your life groups. Do it on your own. They went up to Ai, and this time they defeated their enemy. And at the end in verse 29, we read that they erected this stone memorial. They're all over the place. I told you before, there's four. The more I keep studying, they're just all over the place. So I'm just going to say, there's a lot of them. Really important to God. Visual reminders. This is who God is. This is what he's done in my life. They once again erected a stone memorial. And then in chapter chapter 8 and verses 30 through 35, they did something that God had said, when you get into the land, this is what I want you to do. He told them in Deuteronomy 27 through Moses, if you want to read the background of this, tremendous background, read it. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 27. They're following the instructions of God through Moses and Joshua is carrying out. He takes the people and they're in the center of Canaan and he divides them up into two different mountains. Two groups at two different mountains. And this is really like, if you can talk about something that we in Colorado get, it's mountains, right? And if you want to talk about two mountains, if you've ever hiked our 14ers, often you have what's called these doubles where they're so close to one another. You have two mountains and they're close enough to one another with a certain distance and a certain prominence down that there's a saddle in between and there's a traverse from one to the other. As a matter of fact, the picture that I'm showing you here is probably the most popular of all the doubles in Colorado. It's that of Grays and Tories. It's an incredible hike. You see the people of Israel at a place like this. God, through Joshua, has instructed them, I want half your people at Mount Ebal, and I want half your people at Mount Gerizim. Can you imagine if I said, okay, guys, next Sunday, we're going to gather right there in the middle on that saddle. That would, be, that would be a church service we'd never forget. Of course, most of us would be dead by the time we got halfway up. The, the, um, maybe I would too. I shouldn't have said that. But the difference they had is their elevation was a lot lower, all right? So between Ebal and Gerizim, there was, a, there was this valley of Shechem. And you can go there today and stand on one mountain and speak without yelling. And you can hear that person's voice on the other mountain. It's kind of like just this perfect amphitheater. And so as you read there in the second half of Joshua chapter 8, Joshua and his scribes, they write, they write down all the words of the law and they sit down and, and let's, let's read this in verse 34. This is their Bible, the law of Moses. This is their Bible. So they're, just, they're reading the Bible. Great thing to do when God's people are gathered. And afterward, he read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse, according to all that was written in the book of the law. And so here's what happened. From Mount Ebal, which was this rocky, ugly place, they read the words of the law and the curses that accompany disobedience. And from Mount Gerizim, which is this beautiful mountain with lush greenery up to the tree line, they read the blessings of God that accompany obedience. And the whole idea behind this, read Deuteronomy 27. This was, 
This was their way of recommitting themselves to God. This was their way of rededicating their lives to say, God, we renew ourselves to you to be obedient and to walk in your will. And I want you to notice there's only two mountains in this story. There's only two choices in this story. There was not a third mountain. There was not this mount of indecision for the rest of you not sure. Not deciding, biblically speaking, is deciding. But here's what stood out to me that I want to share with you about this. Notice that God had the people renew their covenant of obedience to him after this victory, not before. Notice that God had them renew themselves to be obedient to him, not before they entered the land, but after they entered the promised land. The call to renew their obedience wasn't so that they could get into the promised land. It was because they were already there. And God had blessed them so richly. Obedience to God is grace-given, gratitude-driven. And that's why in the book of Psalms, chapter 40, the psalmist doesn't write, we have to follow God and do what he says. No, he says, as he looks out on all that God has done, the psalmist writes, man, I, I want to. I delight, the psalmist says, to do thy will, O God. Oh, how I love their law. So here's the point in this flow of thought. It's not enough to get up after you've fallen when you've been given a second chance. Do get up. But with that second chance involves a renewal and a recommitment to obedience to God. Otherwise, you'll just continue the same patterns of the past and you will fall again. And some of us know exactly what that's talking about. So as I shared with you earlier, the second chance that was given to me after hurting my father for so many years and hurting myself and wrecking my life and finally surrendering myself to God they, they, they spent a lot of money to help me go into a Christian university and why why would they do that again I don't think my dad gave me a second chance this was probably third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh or eighth he took a risk. But in my four years at Harding, I worked four jobs, not four jobs one after the other, all at the same time. And in my four years at Harding, I made nothing other than A's, straight A's, my whole four years. I graduated with a 3.98. It wasn't a 4.0 because that C from the other university, it, it transferred over. Now, I'm a little bit reluctant telling you that because it sounds like I'm bragging. But those of you that know me well, or if you spend five minutes with me, you come to a conclusion, okay, nice guy, but he's not the brightest bulb in the, in the box. Not the sharpest tool in the toolbox. Amen. <laughs> so Eddie, how did you make straight A's for four years? Listen, I was driven. I'm sorry, I'm yelling now, right? getting charismatic um, 
I worked hard. I studied hard. But it wasn't so that maybe I could regain my father's love and maybe he would give me a second chance. It's because his love was always there and was revealed to me and is out of gratitude for the second chance that he gave me. This is the story that we see here In the flow of Joshua chapter 8, there's a renewed commitment to obedience to God that flowed from a response to God for all that he had already done for them. Church, this is the story of a people who have fallen and failed miserably. And God said, let's do it again. Let's do it again. Arise. Gave them a second choice. And so they arose to go up to Ai and following that victory and looking around where they were, how could they not rededicate their lives to God in obedience to Him? So you see, if we're ever going to learn not to ski, <laughs> if we're ever going to learn to walk in Christian victory, We must learn how to get up when we've fallen. So that's the first half of the sermon. The second half, (laughs) what's funny? (laughs) Kids doing junior worship saying, no, finish. We got their kids. I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit with the second half because a good preacher is going to now move into what does this mean for us personally and practically. But the good news is I'm going to trust the Spirit's going to take this and it's going to make that known to you. So I'm going to ask now that we ask him in prayer. You stay seated for, for a moment here. Would you bow with me? Close your eyes as we pray. Father, we ask now in this quiet moment that you would take these words and just pull them off of the pages and bring them through our ears, through our eyes, and deep into our hearts and let our hearts throb with conviction, with comfort, with whatever is needed from this passage. Show us how this applies to us personally and practically. And Holy Spirit, I would just ask now that um, as I ask these questions in, in the spirit of prayer, Would you take these questions and really help answer them for each individual? Have you fallen and you can't get up? Or at least it seems that way. Does fear of past failure have you stuck in a rut? Is it paralyzing you? from where God wants you to go right now in your life? Are you at a place when you feel like you've blown it so big that God just done with you and he stopped loving you? God's word to you is he is the God of second chances. He hasn't stopped loving you. He has never stopped loving you. And as you turn to him in repentance, you are forgiven and the past is in the past. Hear God's voice from this passage. Do not be afraid. Arise.
And certainly for some of us, we need to hear, Father, your call for us to turn to you in repentance. And this is where it gets really hard. Because, Father, as we think about the second chances you've given us, we hear this question. Is there someone to whom you need to give a second chance? Father, that's hard. Is there someone that has hurt you and is undeserving because you've already given them so many chances? Lord, how often, how many chances do we give someone? And Lord Jesus, we know that as your disciple says, how many times do we forgive someone that you said, not seven, but 77? Which is your way of telling us to be generous in forgiving others, just as you have been generous in forgiving us. Have you fallen? And maybe you got up and you're just repeating the same cycles of the past. There's been no change. There's no gratitude for what God has done for you to dedicate your life to God in obedience. That's basically, God tells us that's abusing His grace and setting yourself up for another fall. And if you find yourself in that place, God again wants you to know He extends to you a second chance to come to Him in renewal of your promise to Him to recommit yourself to him in a life of obedience to his will that you may walk in his victory and his blessings. Father, I've tried in, through these questions to kind of point people to some thoughts of how this may apply, but you're a lot better at this than I am. So Holy Spirit, speak. Let us hear you. Take this story and make it practical and personal in our lives. I'm going to ask now that you stand and we're going to continue in our time of prayer. Our, our worship team is going to lead us in a prayer song. But I want to encourage you, if you've come here this morning with a heavy heart, if God has put something on your heart through this story, that you need to pray with someone about, whatever it may be, reach out to someone here. Reach out to our shepherds. They're available. They'll get out of their seats and look for you. And if you know someone here that's like that, that needs your hug and needs your prayer, let's offer this time to God now in prayer together. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the senior minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.